Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Valerie Jarrett was one of President Obama's closest advisors. As his Vice President Joe Biden prepares for his own inauguration, Valerie Jarrett talks about her long friendship with President Obama, her years in his administration, and her expectations for the Biden presidency. This interview was recorded for The Carlos Watson Show in earlier November 2020. Valerie, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Carlos. I'm delighted to be with you. Where are you? Are you in uh, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles? New York. And is that now home? Uh, Chicago's home, but I'm here a lot. Nice. And what about during COVID? What have you done? Have you stayed in one place or have you moved a little bit? I've been most of the time in New York, a little in Chicago. Interesting. And how has Chicago been? I feel like I heard about Chicago early during the COVID difficulty, but I feel like I haven't heard about it as much as I heard about New York or other places. Yeah, New York obviously was worse. Chicago is now getting really bad and New York is spiking up a bit more too. So I was going to travel on Sunday, but I think I'm going to just stay put. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, nice to see you, and thank you for joining me on the show. I really appreciate that. Welcome. Valerie, what an interesting election. That's a euphemism. That's one way to put it. As, as someone who's been a part of lots of political battles, what surprised you or intrigued you the most about this year's presidential election? Well, the good news was that more people voted than uh, certainly in my lifetime in any presidential election. And I think that's good for the country and good for the democracy. I'm obviously delighted with the outcome since I have had the privilege of working with President-elect Biden for eight years while he was vice president to President Obama. And I think he's just what um, our country needs, particularly uh, since he's chosen an extraordinary um, partner in Vice President-elect Harris. Uh, I was surprised, I suppose, by all of the frivolous lawsuits that followed, although if I looked at the last four years, maybe I shouldn't be so surprised after all. But it is important to have a smooth transition of power. That's what our democracy is known for. And so it's disappointing that so many days after the election's been called with no real path forward, uh, we still haven't heard a concession from President Trump. 
And how worried are you about that, Valerie? I assume you, like me, have lots of friends who probably are still having sleepless nights over this. And at, at one point, we're worried about where the election was going to end up last Tuesday, Wednesday. Saturday morning, you heard people celebrating in Brooklyn and L.A. and other places. And then all of a sudden, all of this happens. Where do you think we end up? And I ask you as someone who probably will know better than most. I think we end up on January 20th with uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris. Uh, the path between here and there might not be very pleasant. It certainly won't be as smooth as it should be. And I would mention here that I co-chaired President Obama's transition back in 2008. And I can't speak uh, more positively about how helpful President Bush and his entire family were to us. Uh, his daughter, Jenna, posted a photo earlier today of her giving a tour of the house to Sasha and Malia. So from uh, the Bush children to Laura Bush to President Bush and his entire administration, their job was to make our job easier coming in. We may not have agreed about policy, uh, but we understood that this wasn't about politics, it was about governance. And President Obama insisted that we do the same when President Trump was elected. And that's part of what we should take great pride in here in our country. And the fact that that's not happening now is troubling, but I would say that I was comforted with what President-elect Biden said earlier this week. And he said, look, it'll work out. Uh, would it be helpful to have um, the Memorandum of Understanding signed, which will allow us to have non-public information from all the agencies. Uh, would it be helpful to have the presidential daily briefing and the resources that come along with um, a proper formal transition? Sure, but he's very confident that based on his track record and his experience and the incredible team that he surrounded himself with, Carlos, and having chosen uh, Ron Klain, who also had a privilege of working with so closely in the White House, that he'll be able to hit the ground running. What advice would you give? I mean, there's a famous moment of the first President Bush writing a letter to President-elect Bill Clinton and leaving him that note and saying, we're rooting hard for you. And there's that notion of, you know, wisdom being passed from one presidency to another. If you were to whisper into the ear of the 46th Commander-in-Chief, soon to be, because you learned a lot, no one was closer to the, to the 44th Commander than you were, what would be the two or three things that you would tell Vice President Biden or President-elect Biden, I should say. Well, I probably would start by not being very presumptuous because he was right there too. And the fact that he was a part of the uh, very important part, the President Obama's closest advisor, gives him the ability to walk in the door and as I said earlier, hit the ground running. I suppose I would say to him, just remember that you've waited your whole life for this moment. You are as pre prepared as anyone has ever been to set foot in that Oval Office. And I know that he will hold close to his heart, the American people, that they will drive his every decision. And um, and fortunately, he's had enough experience to kind of brush off the nonsense of the 24-hour news cycle and focus on us, the American people. And I know that that's what he will do. Uh, and that's probably the best advice I could give, not just him, but any president, that just wake up in the morning remembering what a privilege it is to serve, even on the hardest days, and that he is ready for this moment. I think uh, President Obama's memoirs are gonna come out soon, and there was a great uh, book review about his, his book earlier today in the New York Times. And one of his strengths is his willingness to say, you know, what could I do better? In uh, Having some humility to reflect inward and be honest with yourself and then be honest with the American people. And I think that's such a strong indication of leadership that our country needs right now. 
someone who will pull us together, who doesn't think he has all the answers, who's a good listener, who will motivate our country to try to pull together and recognize that one leader can't do it alone. You really need the entire nation engaged. You know, uh, talking about President Obama's memoir makes me think about your own, uh, Finding My Voice. How did you feel as an author? Did you enjoy writing that? Was it, was it painful? Was it joyful? Was it cathartic? Was it surprising? What was the experience like writing that book? Uh, all of the above and more, no doubt. It was very cathartic. I spent my entire life, Carlos, like looking forward. What's the next job? What's the next opportunity? How do I prepare myself? And this is the first time in my life, the last four years, where I've had a chance to just say, okay, now, what do I really want to do when I wake up in the morning without a job, with just a mission and a passion for service still, but not inside of, of government? And writing my book gave me a chance to look back at my life and the lessons that I've learned, the ups and the downs. And I decided that it was really important to be very honest and forthcoming uh, about some of the hard times, because I think sometimes uh, when folks see people in positions of authority, such as I had in the Obama White House, they think you just woke up and ended up there, you know, just happened by accident or automatically. And I wanted to tell my whole story so that people could see that it is a journey and it, it isn't a perfect journey. And I made mistakes and I stumbled and I fell. And that one of the qualities is resilience if you want to lead a, a full life and, and learn. Um, so, uh, yeah, I had an extraordinary uh, time writing it. It was painful at times. I had to rehash memories that I just assumed not. Uh, but in the end, I think it was helpful for me to kind of get my life in order. And I'm hoping, particularly with the paperback that I just finished, I added a couple of chapters and the last one is about being a grandmother. And so I'm hoping that when my grandson is older, he will appreciate what I had to say um, about him. Tell me about being a, a grandmother. I want to come back to your book in a moment, but tell me about being a grandmother. Did that change you in any way? And I don't want to weight it with any extra weight that isn't naturally there, but did that change you in any way as he came into the world? Well, it does give you a sense of the continuity of family. And my uh, grandmother was very important in, in my life, my mother's mother. My parents, I could not have raised my daughter as a single mom without them actively involved in my life. And so to have a chance to do the same thing for my daughter and son-in-law and have a relationship with this perfect little darling uh, without any of the anxiety or stresses that go along with parenting is as good as everyone promised me it would be. Uh, uh, but on the other hand, you do appreciate that you're kind of on the backside here and it makes every day more precious. And I think I'm at the stage of life where I can truly enjoy him, similarly to the relationship that certainly my, uh, my parents had with my daughter and I had with my grandmother. Uh, the normal stresses that you have when you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s and even 50s, um, I don't feel those same stresses. And so I can be present and indulgent and it is a joy. Something tells me that you are a very good and special grandmother. My mom was a terrific uh, a grandmother and I look at the relationship that she had with my niece and she ended up homeschooling her. And I think exactly what you're saying about the ability to be present, the ability to give, the ability maybe to be a little more forgiving, a little more open. I thought was kind of a wonderful thing, and it was great to see those two together. So I'm, uh, um, anyhow, congratulations uh, uh, to you uh, on on that. What's up, everybody? 
This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Can I talk a little bit about confidence? I loved in your book how you talked about confidence and your journey to uh, being confident. What advice do you give people who are struggling with that? Because you know that often that issue of confidence can be a little bit ambiguous. It can be a little bit nebulous. And you struggle sometimes to figure out like a definitive way forward, not a way where there's a little bit of progress, but it's still in your head. What advice do you give to people who are struggling with their confidence based on your own experience? You know what? Uh, be courageous. And that doesn't mean absence of fear. It just means overcoming your fears. And look, I was painfully shy. And now I'm having a perfectly lovely conversation with you. And who knows how many people are going to be listening in. That's not something I could have had the confidence to do as a young adult. And I had to keep pushing myself outside of my comfort zone. And yes, yeah, sometimes you know I'd give a speech and it wasn't the best speech in the world. And other times I'd knock it out of the ballpark. 
And I think as those experiences begin to add up, you realize, oh, I can do this. And it helps to be overprepared. And I have a habit of being overprepared. That helps me feel more confident. I don't like to wing things. That makes me feel terrified. And so you have to figure out, well, what are the tools that you need that will help you be more confident? And, I, and some of it is just experience. It's so, it's so interesting you say that. Um, did you ever read Susan Cain's book, Quiet, where she talked about introverts versus extroverts? No, but I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's so intriguing. It's like, I was very much an introvert for my entire childhood and young adulthood. And now I'm a lot more extroverted. And I think confidence has a good bit to do with it. And also having had a job that was outwardly facing, where I spent a lot of time with the public. And I will say, what I, one of the things I loved about my book was my book tour, which enabled me to travel all around the country. And I went to Great Britain. And listening to people tell me their stories and share their lives with me, because I shared so openly, I also found just extraordinarily fulfilling. And I wanted people to, to give them sense that permission to be open because I do think through that vulnerability, that's how we all connect. And look, relationships are the elixir of life. And if you're not willing to open up and be vulnerable, then you don't really actually get to know anybody or let them get to know you. And, and by making myself vulnerable, which I think I did in my book, I found people responded by telling me their stories. And they were rich and interesting and sometimes painful, but often quite inspiring. Yeah, I, I really uh, I really appreciated your honesty, even as you talked uh, about the question of loneliness, which is something uh, that I've talked to the former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, who is your uh, Surgeon General, a lot about and, and about how difficult that can be and that it can show up not just when you're alone, but sometimes when you're technically in a relationship or in a family. How do you advise people on that question uh, of loneliness that I know you talked about a little bit in your in your first marriage as a young professional? Yeah, well, in my book, I mentioned the fact that I've never been more lonely in my life than when I was in an unhappy marriage. And I think I, as a young person, I thought, well, my marriage will complete me. Uh, how could I possibly be lonely if I find my soulmate? And I realized it could be very painful to be in a relationship with someone where there is great distance. And so part of what I knew as a child, and I think I lost sight of, is you have to be happy in and of yourself. And I think being an only child, I learned to be kind of self-contained and okay. And it was kind of ironic that it was in a relationship that I discovered loneliness for the first time. And so I think you have to, you have to figure out what makes you happy and fulfilled before you have anything to offer to somebody else. And so the best lesson is listen to that quiet voice inside of you. Uh, be secure in yourself. Be complete and whole as a person. And that way you guard against loneliness. And I was fortunate to have a big extended family. My cousins are my siblings. They're my best friends. And they helped me kind of come out of my shell a bit. Uh, and then I have a great circle of friends as well. And I think that takes investment and time and energy. Um, every day while I'm in New York, I take a walk with my absolute best friend from high, from law school, which is now decades ago. And it's just precious time. And it rejuvenates me. It makes me feel like, okay, I can go and fight another day. And I did the same thing in those eight years I was in the White House. I had a group of friends, including the one I walk with now. And once a week, we'd have brunch together and let our hair down. We felt safe with one another. And I looked forward to those brunches. They were replenishing them. And I would go, okay, back in the game again. And so 
And my advice is build a circle around you of good people who have your back, who will tell you hard truths when you don't want to hear them, but do it with some grace. And um, that's another thing that will help bolster you in those moments when you are not sure of yourself. Tell me a little bit and tell our viewers a little bit about President Obama that might surprise them because you and I both know when people see people like yourself and President Obama and Michelle Obama, there's an assumption of perfection. There's an assumption of infinite strength. And I assume that that's not the full story. And so what can you tell us about seeing someone so extraordinary up close and personal that might be valuable to other young people who are still early in their journey? Well, he is extraordinary. He's one of the brightest people I've ever met. He's absolutely able to absorb a lot of pain. I talk about that in my book a lot, which leaders have to learn to you know, take incoming without it debilitating you or making you numb. And he has the ability to absorb the pain and take the long view. And that takes a, a lot of courage and strength. And there were times when people would say to me, well, why doesn't he lose his temper and yell? And he's always so Zen-like and calm. And why doesn't he just, you know, have a temper tantrum? Well, you know what? Now we see what that looks like. And it's not very pretty in the leader um, of the United States and the leader of the free world. And so I think that kind of quiet ability to control himself and appreciate that when you are a public servant, then it's not about you. It's about the American people. And I think you all are in for a treat when you read your book because you'll be in the room when it happens, whether it's the Oval Office or the Situation Room or sitting on the Truman balcony with his family, uh, traveling across the world. But the Barack Obama that I met, well, be 30 years ago next summer, uh, he is the same person, his core values, his moral compass, his commitment to be a force for good. And in fact, his wife said about him, I'll never forget this, during the convention speech in 2012, she said, people say to her, what has changed your husband since he's been president? And she said, nothing has changed him. It has simply revealed who he really is. And I, and I would say it tested him, it tested all of us. And you find out like what people are made of, when, not when times are good, but when times are hard. And when times are hard, he, I'm pausing because I want to make sure I'm accurate. In the eight years that I uh, had the privilege of working for him and in the White House, there's just not a single time he ever lost his temper at his staff. And believe me, we gave him plenty of opportunity to do so. And he just never did that. He never indulged that emotion. I remember when the healthcare.gov website broke. You would think having asked us every month for a year, will it be, will it work? That when it didn't work, he could have had some harsh words. And instead he said, well, how are we going to fix it? And that's the part of him that I think makes him such a good leader is that it's not about indulging his own emotions. It's about why you're there, the purpose of service. I, I love that. And that's, that's a lesson to all of us. It is, uh, it is hard sometimes not to indulge that, as you were saying. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. 
you'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans. The chaos in Washington, D.C. And trending topics on social media. As well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Valley, I know that one part of the title of your book is The Path Forward. Help me think about what could be. If we were all going to try and reset America after a very tumultuous four years, what would you love to be true uh, four years from now, a decade from now? What would make you smile brightly on those walks with your, uh, with your good friend? What a great question, Carlos. I think uh, one of the many reasons I am delighted to see President-elect Biden having won the election is because he will bring us together. And tone starts at the top. Now, it requires the American people to participate. He can't do it by himself. But to have a president who will reach out, and I think, you know, he's similar to President Obama in that way, but we are now coming on the other end of a really tumultuous, as you said, time. And I think the American people are so exhausted with this toxic toxicity uh, that they, re- and that's why they showed up in record numbers to, to vote. And so keeping that momentum going and whether it's uh, the incredible demonstrations that we saw over the course of the summer uh, in support of Black Lives Matter, where people of all races, all backgrounds, all ages, in all 50 states came out to say, 
Black lives do matter and we have to improve not only the relationship between police and, and the Black community, but we have to eradicate our culture of systemic racism, which begins with acknowledging that it exists. Uh, and so I would love to see racial healing. Uh, I care a great deal about climate change and President-elect Biden is committed to rejoining the Paris Climate Accord. He's committed to rejoining the World Health Organization. Part of how we get our arms around this pandemic and make sure that we're, we are um, inoculated, to, to, to kind of phrase, against it if it happens again, and there's no reason why another pandemic won't come our way, that we need to make sure that science is leading that effort. And so I want to I get rid of the sense that science is politics. Wearing a mask has nothing to do with politics. Wearing a mask has to do with keeping your, your loved ones and yourself and strangers safe, all of that. Um, so if we can bring us together, if we can have the empathy to walk in each other's shoes, that we can disagree without being disagreeable, that we can truly be my brother's keeper and my sister's keeper, uh, then that's a step in the right direction. And, and look, I was a part of an administration that believed in hope and change. And I think sometimes people thought that, you know, that phrase was easy. Being hopeful in the midst of uh, tumult is not easy. Believing in change and being willing to roll up your sleeves and work hard for it is not easy. And it never happens as quickly as it should. Those who are in positions of power do not give them up without a fight. And there is a stranglehold on the status quo because people enjoy the benefits of that status quo. And in our country, it has always been ordinary people who have uh, found the strength to do extraordinary things. And I think we are in such a movement right now. The activism that we're seeing around our country, I hope that momentum keeps up because that's how real change happens. And so when I look down to the future, I want to know that, the, that this was not just an inflection point or a moment, but it was the beginning of a real movement for change. Uh, Valerie, I know we have to go, and, and I hope you're right on that. Before we do, I wanted to ask you about Georgia. Uh, I, maybe you were more optimistic than me, but I didn't see Georgia coming. How much do you believe there is possibility there that there could be dramatic once in a quarter of a century change with these two Senate elections in Georgia? Well, my friend who I walk with is from Georgia. And so she's been uh, bending my ear for years now about if the Democrats would just spend a little money in Georgia, uh, it might surprise you. And so when you talk to the folks on the ground, uh, you know that there is an opportunity to not only turn Georgia blue, as we have done as of this moment for the presidential race, but to win both Senate seats. And wouldn't that be something if the home of John Lewis, uh, who left us far too early this summer, that his home was the home that uh, changed the color of the Senate, changed the state to blue, delivered the majority of the Senate to the Democrats, uh, and there would be no turning back. And I have to give a real shout out to Stacey Abrams. You know, Stacey Abrams, uh, you know, the, my subtitle of my paperback is When the Perfect Plan Crumbles, the Adventure Begins. And Stacey had a plan. The election was stolen from her, I believe. And she could have just said, well, let me go to the private sector and make some money and turn her back on politics. And instead, she rolled up her sleeves and she laid the foundation for President-elect uh, Biden's victory in Georgia. And I believe that the foundation she laid is also what's going to ensure that the two Senate seats go to the Democratic column as well. 
So it's a good example of when things don't work out, you just have to double down and get back to work. And her, the labors of her effort are paying off now. And I will say, Black women in particular are the ones that turned out in Georgia uh, before, and they're going to turn out uh, in the special election coming up of that, I'm sure. Uh, Valerie, it was so nice to have you here. I love that. I love that image of a John Lewis holiday gift, New Year gift, um, as though he hadn't already given enough already. But I love, I love that notion of, of, of him doing that. And I, I want to thank you if you'll let me. I don't know whether this is legend or it's real, but I, I've heard tale of a moment. I think they said it was in North Carolina in 2008 when candidate Obama, Senator Obama was running, was dog tired, uh, wasn't sure he wanted to go down and give a talk for people who've been waiting for him a long time. And I hear tale that you said to him, um, probably in nicer words, are you sure you really want this? Because if you do, you got to get up and you got to go get it. And, you know, I know that anytime someone does something special, it's a, there's a village of people who've helped make that journey happen. And so I don't know if that story is true, but if it is, I want you to know that I've always appreciated it. I've always appreciated the idea that while he was on this marathon for all of us, that there were many people helping him uh, stay upright and, uh, and stay in the fight. He was surrounded all over this country by people who were rooting for him, and they gave him strength every single day. And for that, I know he is grateful. And uh, you're right, nobody can do this alone. It takes a lot of folks pulling for you. And, you know, he keeps in his pocket to this day trinkets that people he met along the way gave him. Uh, one person, I was with him in uh, Austin, Texas, who gave him a patch from his military uniform that, he had, that the gentleman had carried with him for 40 years. And in a spontaneous moment, or maybe he'd been thinking about it since we'd been at that hotel, I don't know, but he gave it to then-Senator Obama. And I burst into tears at this unbelievable act of generosity, of unselfish commitment to something bigger and more important than himself. And ugh, when I discovered who he was, years later, when a reporter found him, uh, President Obama invited him to his second inauguration. And Mr. Smith is his name. He came to Washington. And then he also sat with the First Lady at the last State of the Union, along with Edith Childs, who was responsible for fired up and ready to go. And so many people who inspired him on that journey. And you can never forget who helps you get where you are. It's what keeps you humble, but it's also what keeps you true. Valerie, I am, uh, I'm so grateful for the time. And uh, um... I'm, I'm smiling 12 ways to Sunday. So uh, thank you for making the time and congratulations on the paperback. And uh, I hope I get a chance to see you at healthier times in person. Well, please stay healthy to you and your family. Happy holidays. All right. Same to you. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this interview, please tell your friends. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. 
So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 